If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business, you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition. We demystify the entrepreneur experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of The Bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. Before I jump into introducing today's guests, I need your help as members of The Bunker to get the word out about this show. One of my goals is to impact 10,000 veteran entrepreneurs and military spouses of early stage businesses. This is an audacious goal that I can't do alone. And the only way I'll be able to accomplish it is if you help me get the word out by sharing the show with others and also rating and reviewing it for us. Make sure you're also subscribing so that every time we release a show, it downloads straight to your phone. With that being said, I've got a great guest for you today, the charismatic Thomas Schwab, founder and chief evangelist officer of Interview Valet, a marketing company that helps amazing brands turn other people's audiences into their customers on targeted podcast interviews. Thomas is a Naval Academy graduate, former surface warfare officer, and seasoned entrepreneur with experience successfully launching and selling an e-commerce business, which went on to become one of HubSpot's first e-commerce case studies. I actually met Thomas through LinkedIn after seeing some of his great video content around proper podcast guest etiquette. I had just launched my first podcast, Confessions of a Native Son, and was blown away seeing another Naval Academy guy in the space. Thomas loves America, is highly energized, and thinks it's a great time to start a business and ride this entrepreneurial wave. He's a content and inbound marketing ninja, and this is another episode of The Transition that you don't want to miss. Today's show is brought to us by the MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, my hope is that Thomas's transparency and vulnerability empower you to overcome your own challenges as you continue along your entrepreneurial journey. Tom, welcome to the show. Mike, I am thrilled to be here. Uh, just a couple of uh, veterans getting together talking about uh, life after the service. Now, it's a pleasure to have you. And I'm, I can't help but look at that bookshelf behind you. I see three books, Niche Down, what is that, Culture Matters, and then Big, was it Big Lies? The Big Lies of Marketing by Doug Murnau. Big Lies of Marketing. Man, I'm super excited to have you on this show. Uh, I came across you via LinkedIn and was just so surprised, like, like I told you uh, when I messaged you, to find a Naval Academy grad in the entrepreneur space doing something such as niche as podcasting and setting people up. And uh, just think you'd be a great uh, value add for our listeners out there. Yeah, it's a. Uh, uh, it only makes sense in the rearview mirror, you know, connecting the dots. Uh, when I uh, graduated from the Naval Academy in '87, this is not what I figured I would be doing. You know, honestly, thirty some years later, I figured by that time I'd be old and dead. Now I'm having more fun, and it's all been an evolution. You know, what I learned uh, in the service is what I'm using in business, and just applying it to modern tools. So I, you know, uh, we'll talk about demystifying it. Uh, once you see the magic trick done, it's really not a mystery as much. How does it feel watching podcasts evolve? You know, it's like I'm following all the trends and everything now. It seems like it's really, you know, blowing up. Well, and I think you're, the right word is evolve, right? So if you just see it, it's like, wow, this is amazing. But if you look back long enough, it's like, okay, well, radio you know, evolved. It blew up in the 1920s. Television blew up in the 1950s, all the rest of that. So I really think this is just the next version 
of it. And it's just, you know, uh, I spent way too much money and way too much time uh, getting my MBA in marketing. And what I found out from that was that, you know, marketing is just starting a conversation with somebody that can be an ideal listener or ideal customer. And, you know, at one time that was newspapers. Another time it was, you know, email. Today it's podcasts. Absolutely. And you know what I realized was I just was so excited to start talking to you. I forgot to allow you to formally introduce yourself to our audience. So why don't you take a moment to do that for our listeners out there? Well, my name is Tom Schwab. Um, I live in Kalamazoo, Michigan, halfway between Detroit and Chicago. It proves that you can uh, do podcasting from anywhere. Uh, lived a very blessed life. Got into the Naval Academy on a clerical error. They didn't figure it out till my senior year, and I got the uh, the waiver. Uh, I served uh, in the Navy in nuclear power, running aircraft carriers on the U.S. Abraham Lincoln. Um, at that time, it was the newest and finest. Today, she's just the finest. And after I left there, um, I, I was on this course, and it, uh, you know, it makes sense now. You know, I, I went from Navy nuclear power to corporate America to sales to marketing to where I am now, and it all fits in together. And I think none of it would have started or been possible without that service and the military aspect. And I think that's what makes me different today and makes me uniquely valuable. And if you're a veteran, that's what makes you uniquely valuable in the market today. So how do you describe interview valet for others? I could try, but I feel like I'm going to butcher it. Well, I'll tell you what our mission is. Our mission is to personally introduce inspiring thought leaders to millions of ideal people they could serve for the betterment of all. Now, we do that through introducing authors, coaches, speakers, brands to podcasts that their ideal listeners or their ideal customers are already listening to. And, you know, um, my mom, I wrote a book called Podcast Guest Profits. She read it and she's like, honey, I read this. I still don't understand what you do. I said, mom, we introduce people to other people that they should know for the benefit of all. And it's it's a great, powerful way to grow your brand and your business today. Where do you see the future of this headed? Oh, I, I, I see they're going to change the word podcasting. I think, you know, right now we're recording this in 2020. Uh, somebody's going to listen to this in 2030 and laugh every time we say podcast, right? Because I asked my uh, two youngest daughters a couple of years ago, what's the podcast or what's pod stand for in podcast? And they rolled their eyes and said, I don't know, dad, what's pod stand for? And the thing is, is it's gotten to be so much more than just an iPod. It's, it's on-demand radio. You know, some of it's going to Sirius XM. Uh, you know, you look back a hundred years ago in 1920, radio was called wireless telegraph. And by 1930, it was radio. And I think we're going to see the same thing that we can't even imagine what it's going to be like. And, you know, it's really the only content where it's easy to pr produce. It's easy to consume when you want at the speed you want. You know, I always joke that, you know, I, I listen to podcasts at 2x speed while I run at half x speed. And I, I feel like I'm making an honor violation every time I say I run. You know, if it was slower than that, it'd probably be um, sightseeing. <laughs> you know, I uh, you bring up a good point, too, because I'm a big consumer of Audible. And then I log on my Audible app and I see podcasts and I click it. 
And it's a lot of their Audible originals, which they're now starting to call podcasts. Or, but they are creating new content. But it's just like quick five to ten episode series on particular particular topics. But the way they're branding it and everything is really unique. And it's interesting because it's like everything is merging. So I say I read one to two books a week, but I actually listen to one to two books a, a, a week. You know, the only way I made it through college was going to the classes because if you put me in a room reading a book, I'd never figure it out. But if I could see it being done, if I could heard it being done, that's how I learned. And so we all learn differently. And I remember somebody asking me, you know, well, podcast now, uh, the newest study said 51% of the adult population in the United States listens to podcasts. And they said, when do you think it'll get to 100%? And I had to think, and it's like newspapers never got to 100%. You know, TV didn't. You know, 10% of the U.S. population is hearing impaired. They're not going to listen to this podcast. But we can talk. We can transcribe it, make blogs. You can take the video, put it up there. So I love that today that, you know, we can create in the way that's easiest for us and then repurpose in the ways that's easiest for other people. You know, uh, it's a, there's a lot of problems in the world today, but there's no better time to be alive. I love it. And I, mean, I could just hog them this whole interview, but, uh, you know, we have some listeners out there that are wanting to be entrepreneurs that have already started their ventures. And I, I believe you can add tons of value to their lives. And so I want to get us started, you know, um, as somebody that looks up to you as a fellow Academy, Naval Academy grad, entrepreneur, podcaster, you know, one of the things I like to do on this show is to have our guests take off their armor and let our audience know something that they're struggling with as a small business owner, either personally or professionally. Because a lot of times, you know, within business, it's a lot of posturing, right? You think everybody's got it figured out. Everyone's just awesome. But behind the scenes, we're all struggling with our different issues. Well, and, and that's the thing. We're all making it up as we go, right? The president of the United States, when whatever party it is, when they walk in there the first day, they've never done the job before. They're making it up as they go. You know, the uh, the master chief, he's never done that before. They're, they're learning. We're growing in that. So I think, um, you know, it's if you want to call it the imposter syndrome, um, I, I think I still struggle with that, right? I can't believe that, um, that, I'm in a place and, you know, uh, to do this, I can remember, uh, on a podcast interview, somebody asked me, you know, about nuclear power and they're like, does it ever bother you that, you know, 20 year olds are running nuclear power plants right now in the Navy? And I said, no, what really bothers me is there's these young guys, my age that are walking around with stars on their shoulders, making big decisions. And they're way, way, way too young to do that. So in some ways, I look at that too. Is it, you know, you look up to me and say, "Oh, he's got this all figured out." It's like, dude, we're all we're all trying to figure it out. And um, I, I I think there's something refreshing in that and liberating of saying, "I don't know it all." And it's like when you say, "Uh," when you try to pretend like you know it all, then you know people don't want to help you. But if you just say, "Hey, uh, how do you do this?" you know. Um, do you know anybody that can help me? Do you know anybody that you can introduce me to? Everybody wants to help you, right? Maybe not everybody. 99% of the world wants to help you. They're the 1% are jerks, right? But uh, the vast majority of them don't want to compete with you. They want to help you. Uh, so I think I've got to remind myself of that, uh, just like I have to remind other people of that. 
Well, I appreciate you for sharing that for our listeners out there. And uh, man, we're we're gonna we're just gonna be a fun interview. It's already fun. I'm gonna go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsors, which brought us here today, which is Bunker Labs, a national network of veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs dedicated to helping the military connect the community start their own business. We're committed to seeing that every entrepreneur in the military connected community has the network tools and resources they need to start their own business. 25% of transitioning service members want to start a business and they need places inside their community where they can connect with the people, resources, and support they need. Be sure to visit our website, www.bunkerlabs.org. Also, be sure to register at Bunker Online, our social network for the military connected community where Bunker Labs staff helps make connections to increase your opportunities. You can register today by clicking the connect button at bunkerlabs.org. Tom, had you ever heard of Bunker Labs until I reached out to you? I had. I um, was actually at the Military Influencers Conference last year in Washington, D.C., and they put on uh, a, a great booth there, uh, just great people, great service, and they were the ones walking around helping everybody, introducing everybody, uh, and uh, love that organization. I just wish I could get over to Chicago more often for some live events, and I look forward to uh, the live events coming back uh, in all the cities uh, once all this uh, passes. Yeah, I think everybody does. And I actually had a chance to, I interviewed Cortez for this uh, podcast. So Cortez Riggs, the founder awesome. of a uh, military influencer conference, he's like episode two, I believe. So it's a, it's a great ecosystem. And you mentioned something before when we first started, you know, this idea that you said you wish you didn't get that MBA or whatever, you know, <laughs> a lot of people transitioning into entrepreneurship, especially from the military, they assume they need this MBA you know, or that they need this business education. Otherwise, that they can't just get out there and get started and find a network that's already out there for them. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's a, if you want to talk about the imposter syndrome there, it's like, well, I don't know that, you know, my degree is not in business. I don't have any business experience. Well, no, but you've got a whole lot of leadership experience. And the most of what I learned in my MBA, I would consider that history, right? I learned more um, in probably my first six months of being a entrepreneur, okay, a business owner, than I did actually in class. And I, I struggle with that word entrepreneur because I think it's intimidating, right? Because what's an entrepreneur? You know, um, Mark Zuckerberg's an entrepreneur. Elon Musk is an entrepreneur. You know, so was my uh, so was my nephew with an idea. It's it's this idea this um this overall arching word that is intimidating i just look at it as be a business owner right um to people that say well i want to get out of the service and be an entrepreneur well why don't you focus on being a business owner just like our grandparents and great grandparents did after world war ii right did they have mbas did they have um business uh degrees no but they had a heart to serve. They had a work ethic. They had leadership skills and they came back and said, I want something better for myself, my community, my people around me. And they became incredibly successful. And it's, uh, you know, a small portion of the U S population today serves. And most people don't understand it, but they understand the hard work ethic for that. And it's, it's always amazing. Um, sometimes service members work so hard, uh, that they're successful before you know that you can't do that. 
And a lot of them are looking to, you know, reinvent themselves by becoming, you know, a business owner. Um, and I, it's really important you say that because that's the thing. A lot of people get intimidated to by the landscape of entrepreneurship. You know, people assume you got to go out and raise a bunch of capital. You got to do all this when you're really just out there solving a problem and finding a niche like you have with the interview valet. Yeah. And there's there's always problems and limitations, right? There's never enough time. There's never enough money. You don't have all the answers. Well, welcome to life. Welcome to the military too, right? There was never enough of everything, but you still got it done and you got creative. And that's what people are doing out here too. And, you know, if you really look at it, um, would I take somebody straight out of business school to run a new business? Or would I take somebody that has the leadership, has the character to do that? Uh, I, I can think of here in my hometown of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, we've got the Kalamazoo Gospel Mission. And this place runs awesome. And it was a, a probably a few years into do, uh, uh, volunteering there and also um, donating there that I found the reverend that... Um, uh, that runs it. He's a retired senior chief hall tech. And once I heard that, it's like, oh yeah, I understand why this place runs like it does. He's got leadership. He knows how to do things. Uh, it's all about the mission. And it's like, I would hire that guy in a second to run a business. And he's getting after it. Yeah. So why don't you take us back? Take us back to how you became a business owner. We want to hear it. And you know, because in my journey, I've found very few business owners, entrepreneurs who've hit a home run their first time right out the gate. You know, they have wow. two, three, four, five different ventures, and then they hit that home run. And so there's always like a story there, and we love to hear yours. Well, let me go back a little bit further, right? So here I am. I grew up in the Midwest, um, great family, all the rest of that. But uh, I was told that to be successful meant you go and you get an education and a steady job, right? So my time gets up at the Naval Academy and, and, uh, in the service, uh, by that time I was married and I had two kids and I'd done everything I wanted to do. And when somebody now, you know, says, thank you for your service. And I'm like, I had fun, right? It was my family that was really, you know, did, did the, uh, the hard work. So I knew that if I would have done another deployment, it probably would have cost me my family. So I decided at that time, I want to get out. Well, my dad told me that I was a fool, right? He's like, you've got a steady job here, right? All you got to do is another 15 years and you can retire. And I'm like, no, I, I know this will work for me. So I went from one steady job with the, the Navy. Then I went to a Fortune 500 company. And, you know, I had a great, great run there. I did engineering. I did operations. I did distribution, but I wasn't happy there right? I was locked into one building. I felt like I was on a big submarine, right? If you didn't, uh, if you weren't in the office with me or live within a hundred yards of me, I probably didn't know you. So I had an opportunity to take a straight commission sales job. And that's when my dad called me a dang fool or words to that effect. And he basically said, no, you can't do this, right? You're, you've got to do something safe and secure, right? You've got uh, a family, a mortgage, you know, you can't take a risk. And I'm like, I don't see it as a risk, right? I'd rather be paid by hundreds of customers than I would one. 
So, you know, he lived long enough to say that was right for you. And I was very successful in sales. Then I went into sales management, into marketing. Um, and then I actually had my own distributorship in the state of Michigan. So we were selling orthopedic implants to hospitals, to doctors, but we had one supplier. And when the Great Recession hit, um, they wanted to go direct, you know, cut out the middleman which makes a whole lot of sense until Mike, you look in the mirror and you're like, I look like the middleman right now. They, they did right by me. But at that point we had a sideline business and it was a little product. It was direct to patient, durable medical equipment. And with this, we had just done it in Michigan and, um, we knew we were doing good. So many of these units would come back because a lot of them were rentals and they'd have thank you notes with them, but I didn't know how I could scale it up. So my wife and I, you know, thought about it, prayed about it. And I'd read a book by two smart guys out of MIT, Brian Halligan and Darmesh Saw went on to form a company called HubSpot. And they basically said, Hey, you can use the internet to, and content to attract, engage, and to like customers. And I can remember calling them up early on and said, Hey, you think this would work for e-commerce? And they said, well, I don't know. It should. Nobody's tried it. I'm like, hey, let's give it a try. And so we were one of their first e-commerce case studies. So uh, in about a matter of about six years, we went from a regional player to a national leader, sold off the company. And then you know, I started to look at it and said, I bet you you could use podcast interviews the same way that you could use um, guest blogs that we used to use, right? Same thing. Just tap into other people's audiences. So we started to test that. Uh, it worked really well. Uh, we heard from the customers what they loved, what they didn't. And we just kept you know, following uh, what the customers told us. And now, uh, what is it? Uh, six years later, we've grown to serve 100 clients. We've got a team of 18, um, all distributed. We've got two in Europe, two in Canada, and the rest in the United States. And three of the 18 are military spouses right? Because it works out as a great career for them. And uh, so I, I I wish I could say that I had this great plan when I graduated and when I got out of the military, but I don't think any of us do, right? We, we see what opportunities are out there. We see what needs are out there. Uh, we try things, um, you know, and I always say, uh, I've got an opinion as a business owner. I can hire consultants that have, you know, opinions, but it's really the the customer that has the answers. They're the experts and they'll tell you what they love and what they loathe. You just have to be smart enough to double down on one and stop doing the other. That's great. And I tell you, um, just listen to your story talk. I didn't know you were involved like with HubSpot in the early days. You're like an OG. You know, we call y'all OG. <laughs> well, we were actually, uh, my company was the, uh, first case study, e-commerce case study uh, that HubSpot put out and Beretta USA, which is the oldest company in the world. They were the second uh, one. So it's, it's fun to see it grow. And, you know, like I said, none of that was taught in my MBA. Right. Um, we even had some interns uh, that worked for us and they'd uh, come in and they'd tell me what they were uh, being taught. And I'm like, oh man, that is like four or five years old. You're, you're learning history right now, you know, um, 
you're spending a lot of money uh, to go out there and uh, have to relearn it once you graduate. In the early days of launching a venture, and I, I love the fact that you tested your idea first before you kind of jumped all in. But in the early days, anything takes like 10 times the amount of time, effort and money that most people realize. Right. Uh, and I'm curious to know, both with your first company and with Interview Valet, you know, what was that process like in the very early days? You know, were you fun? I'm, I assume you didn't have to fundraise for it. You just kind of self-funded and bootstrapped. And uh, how were you able to get that liftoff going? Oh, I, I bootstrap, I bootstrap everything. I, I love that because, you know, um, leverage is a wonderful thing, right? With leverage, you can move mountains, but remember if you're on the wrong side of the lever, it's called a catapult and it will catapult you into bankruptcy. So I just looked at that and said, I'll grow a little bit small, slower. Um, I'll make better decisions and I'll just, you know, um, bootstrap all of this, but it also forces you to listen to the customers, right? Because they're voting with their dollars. And it also keeps you from being too set in your ways um, of what you think is right. And let me give you an example on this, Mike. So I built up an agency, sold it off. I knew how much work it was going to be to build up another agency. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to do this, right? So I'm going to, when I started to test this and it worked, I thought, uh, I'll do a, I'll do a book. So I gave this cheesy book out there and gave most of them away. I was a, a short PDF. And then somebody said, well, you need to do a course. Everybody's got courses. You can sell courses. And I looked at that and thought, I like that business model, right? Do it once. I can keep selling it. I don't have to build a team, all the rest of this. Well, I never took the thing out of beta because I started the course and Every couple of weeks, I would update it based on the feedback that people gave me. And I kept doubling the cost of the course. But after about, oh, it was probably three months, I didn't take it out of beta and I was looking at it. And, you know, you can see on a, a course how many people are actually finishing it, how many people are using it. And I'm like, I don't want to sell something if people aren't getting value out of it. And most people would, I, I threw in uh, free consulting with it. And I'd ask them and I'd say, hey, Mike, how's it going with the course? And they'd be like, um, yeah, it's going great. Do you have any questions? No, just, I just need to spend some time and start executing on it. And you'd look at the back end and it's like, dude, you got through two of the six chapters. Just tell me, I'll give you your money back. The ones that were really, really honest with me were the ones that said, I understand the course. I understand what you're trying to do here, but I don't want to do all the work, right? Why don't you let me be the guest and you take care of all the rest? Now, it would have been really easy for me to say, nope, I don't want to do that. I just want to sell courses, but I didn't feel good about people not getting results with it. So with that, my plan changed and I'm like, okay, we'll test this. We'll beta test this for four or five months. And we'll see what happens. And it worked so well that, uh, what, after three months, the customers are saying, no, you can't cancel this. We love this. And they started to bring more people in there. So if I would have stuck with what I wanted to do, I probably would have sold some, right? Would have made some money on it. Wouldn't have made a name for myself. Wouldn't have helped people. It would have been very transactional. But 
when we were actually doing things for people that they wanted, they were bringing more customers to us. That's great. And I, I'm, I'm a beta tester myself. Like I said, I start stuff and I don't make it public until I can verify that it actually works and that there's actual buy-in behind it. For you with podcasting, I'm curious to learn back in 2015 when you started Interview Valet, right? 2014, 2015 timeframe, the space was a lot different back then. And I'm curious to hear, I'm sure you ran this up against this. You can't monetize podcasting or how are you going to build a business around this? You know, because people are having these conversations now and I want to know what it was like, you know, when you were launching. Oh, it was, it was interesting where, you know, you work on your elevator pitch and you'd give the, you know, one minute elevator pitch and people would shake their head and go, ah, what's a podcast? I'm like, oh, shoot. And at first I thought we're too early to the market. And now I look back on it. It's like, no, we were perfect timing because it gave us a a few years to work out the systems, to build the team, to do all the other things. You know, now we've got experience with over 50,000 or excuse me, 500 clients on 20,000 podcasts. So our data set and our learning is second to none. So I think sometimes you've got to play, um, you've got to play the long game. Don't look at what's hot today. What's the, look, what's going to be hot in a year or two from now. Um, because if you always chasing the newest thing, um, by the time it gets hot, um, you know, it's almost like the wave has already hit the shore. Now pick your next wave there and pick it, pick it in time. Another thing that's great, even with just going back to what you said about, it was a perfect timing. Cause you said before your team is 18 people distributed all over. Right. So I'm sure when COVID hit, you were like ahead of the game. Once again, your business is a digital business up online. And I just see so many celebrities, athletes, you know, a lot of people are trying to get into podcasting now. They are. And, you know, uh, you can always look back at that and say, well, th that was a very strategic move of our part of we intentionally were distributed. No, it's just, I knew that if we're serving a worldwide audience, I can't say, you know, we're open nine to five East coast time, unless it snows. Right. So I just looked at it. This works for me. This works for my lifestyle. I didn't want to be tied to an office and it, and it worked from that standpoint. Uh, would it have worked five years before? Heck no. You know, the technology wasn't there for it. Uh, I would have had to do this business. I would have had to live in New York, Los Angeles, or London. You know, now it's sort of cool that I can say, yeah, I live in Kalamazoo. I can do it from here. So, uh, you know, some of it's just looking at what resources are available at the time and uh, just being open to, to solve people's problems. What was the hardest part for getting interview valet going? Was it, were you running into any issues at the initial phases or was it just, it just kind of sold itself? I don't think in hindsight, you always say, oh, you know, it, it sold itself, but you still got to start it. And to me, I think the biggest thing was that when we started it, we didn't have relationships, right? And there's a great book called The Speed of Trust. Uh, Stephen Covey's uh, son wrote it. And I love that book because he just talks about if you have relationships, things work out fine, right? And they go so fast. So early on, um, we spent a lot of time going to all the conferences, talking with people, you know, um, not just pitching them a guest, 
But having that conversation and saying, hey, tell me about your podcast. Mike, what are you trying to do with it? Are there any people that you would like to have, many introductions we could make to add value? And once you have those relationships, um, you're golden, right? And that's one of our core values of our company is relationships are the ultimate currency. And so uh, early on when you start in a new industry, you don't have the relationships. And, you know, for some of the OGs, you're like, oh, it's so easy for them. Well, it's because they've been working relationships for a long, long time. And, you know, we know how to make those in the military um, with all the different commands we've been at. We've got friends everywhere. You can do the same thing in the civilian world. And uh, um, I think we can make them stronger, too. I'll tell you, I when I was looking up your stuff online, you've got great reviews from you know, not only the people that have used your services, but also the guests that you book podcasts on. I mean, the podcast shows that you book guests on, you know, they were singing high praises for you and your team, how great and, you know, easy you are. And when you read more about podcasts, you realize a lot of people struggle with getting guests booked, you know, because that's a pain in itself, you know, vetting people and all that kind of stuff. And you've got like a turnkey solution for them. Well, and you think about that in any business there, right? If you've got the relationships and the respect of the people, they'll take your call. They'll trust your recommendation. Um, and it's like, everything is easy for you. Whereas somebody coming in, well, how come they're not taking my pitches? Well, first of all, you're sending pitches to an email that they never check. They don't know who you are. It's just spam. Whereas, you know, if all of a sudden you've got the relationships, you're not sending an email. You're, you're actually sending them a video on their phone and saying, you know, hey, hey, Joe, I was just talking with Mike the other day. He'd be a great guest for yours. You know, do you mind if I make the introduction? And, uh, you know, it's, it, if you think about it, sometimes it's like job applications, right? If you wait till it's posted um, on monster.com, it's you versus the other, you know, 7 billion resumes out there where you want to get in is where somebody knows somebody and can do the personal introduction. And, you know, that's what we've been working on for what the last six years now. You've mentioned before about how I used to go to all the conferences, like the pod fest and all these different places. Right. And I'm thinking in my head, these are like the young, like the Pat Flynn kind of guys. And uh, what's the other guy, uh, John D. Loomis, you know, entrepreneur yeah. on fire and all these. And then here you're coming in, you're a retired uh, Navy veteran, you know, older executive. Well, you didn't retire from the Navy, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and you're moving around these spaces. What was that like? Did you feel in, I know you mentioned imposter syndrome, but did you feel like, am I out of my league here? These are young guys, or you're like, I'm going to own this? Um, It's funny because podcasting tends to be... um audio especially less judgmental or less prejudicial and there was a great um article written written by a futurist at stanford about this and he felt the future was vivid audio not vi not vivid video right because when you're listening to somebody you don't know how old they are uh you don't know what they look like all the rest of that you just sort of listen for the content so a lot of these guys I'd either listen to, talk to, and, you know, we all have something in common, right? So um, uh, Pat Flynn, 
Uh, and I can remember getting together with him for dinner with uh, uh, a young podcaster um, that uh, had just graduated the Naval Academy. And so we got together for dinner one time. John Lee Dumas uh, was in the Big Red One um, in uh, Iraq. And so, you know, he was ex-Army and everything. So we all have something in common there. And I don't know, I just, maybe um, maybe I don't look in the mirror enough at my gray hair, but I figure, oh, we're all, we're all about the same age, right? And uh, I, I think if you can stay relevant, that's important too, you know? And uh, um, I just, I looked at, to connect with people any way I could. And there was a lot of podcasters that were older, right? Um, um, Oh, Michael Stelzner, right? I remember meeting him early on at, uh, from social media uh, marketing world. Uh, you know, Jordan Harbinger uh, from The Art of Charm, and now he's got his own show. To be able to talk with him and realize, oh, yeah, we're both from Michigan originally. You know, so little things like that. I think you think about it as a veteran too, right? You've always got somebody, something in common with somebody. You can figure out whatever it is, um, you know, uh, fr from us, all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, we both boxed at the, uh, at Navy, right? All of a sudden you look like you're still a boxer and I'm, I'm looking like, uh, uh, if you, I, I told you I boxed at 127, you'd be like, no way. Yeah. No, that's great. That's a great point. There's always a silver line and there's always something that connects people together. You just got to know where to find it. As a Naval Academy grad, let me ask you this. How do you feel like you stand out in your peers, you know, um, when they kind of, you know, when you guys kind of come together to meet up or, or whatnot? Because I just kind of view what you're doing so out of left field from the traditional path. I see a lot of our peers doing when they leave the military. And so I would love to hear, you know, some insight onto that. Um. I didn't really appreciate that until recently. And one of our clients um, uh, is a retired um, Marine Corps colonel. This guy is a stud and found out later that uh, two of his older brothers were company officers of mine, uh, uh, you know, as I was growing up. And he mentioned that it was different. And I guess, you know, what's ordinary to you is amazing to other people, but I think it's just shows the the basis that we have. And I, I always say that, you know, everything that I pull on from the leadership side to the, to the stories that I tell all come, uh, all, all come from the military, right? Every one of my clients knows that, um, I'll, I'll give them the quote and my team knows only kids and clowns like surprises. Which one did you take me for? Right. And then I'll usually tell them that was Lieutenant Commander Gary Duncan, who was, you know, the main propulsion assistant that I, I worked under. And it was a, a truth of life there. So uh, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's normal. And I think a lot of times people will go into the community that they're used to, you know, to go work for a defense contractor or go work in the military. But um, I, our skills are so transferable. You could go anywhere. Just got to step outside that comfort zone a little bit. Yes. And we've already done that, right? When people say, well, it's, it's so tough to step in to a new culture. It's like, dude, you did it when you were 17 or 18 years old. That's right. Right. You went and that culture is a whole lot different than the culture you're going into right now. And, uh, you know, so you can pull the lessons from there, but, uh, you're adaptable enough, man. If you could, if you could make it through uh, basic or, um, 
you know, plebe summer or, you know, whatever the school was, you, you can make it through uh, corporate America. That's a valid point. That's a valid point. Let me ask you this. What are your future plans post COVID? You know, you got any other books coming out? What's what's the landscape looking like for Interview Valet? Well, I want to launch Interview Valet Espanol. And we were originally supposed to launch it this year because of COVID and the demand we saw from that. We've pushed it back to next year. But um, people say, well, do you speak Spanish? And I'm like, very little, but I want to learn. So that's one of my big, hairy, audacious goals is to be bilingual by 2030. And you know what? We got two people on our team right now that are bilingual. One of them just uh, translated my book for me and um, she's living in Spain. And so I look at that and say, why not? I mean, why not take what we're doing now and expand it to the, uh, the Spanish speaking market? Because that market is really blowing up right now. That's great. And we're seeing that at Bunker Labs too. You know, a lot of our, we do virtual events and we're getting a lot more requests about, you know, Spanish speaking events. Uh, people really mm -hmm. do. And they appreciate that when you take the time to, to provide that for them. Very much so. And I think I like podcasting because it brings us all together. Right. And why can't you have podcasts in Spanish? And, you know, even people that are bilingual, they like to listen in their native tongue. It's easier for them. Why not give it to them in that way? Awesome. So what takeaways you have for our listeners? You got any good book recommendations, podcasts, or articles? I'm looking on their shelf. I'm a big fan of Lockhead, Niche Down. You know, oh. Lockhead. And you've got a great niche with uh, Interview Valet for sure. Any Anything by Christopher Lockhead is awesome. He wrote a couple great books. Um, Follow Your Different. Or no, um, that was his old podcast. Niche Down, um, Play Bigger, How Pirates, Dreamers, and innovators create and dominate markets. He's got two podcasts, um, Follow Your Different and Lockhead on Marketing. So I highly recommend that. The other thing is if I could tell everybody one thing, my favorite saying, and someday I'll make a podcast out of this, is what's ordinary to you is amazing to others. So your whole background, your whole military experience, right? You're like, yeah, it's ordinary, right? Yeah, of course, I've been to 14 countries, right? Most people haven't been out of their state, right? So when they hear you've been to these different countries, that you've met all of these different people, that you've had all this experience, they're like, that's amazing. That's ordinary to you, but it's amazing to other people. Where can people find you at, Tom? Well, I was going to say, uh, I'll make it easy here. Um, if you go to interview valet.com uh, forward slash transition. I'll put everything that Mike and I talk about up there. Uh, put a free copy of my book, Podcast Guest Profits, How to Grow Your Business with the Targeted Interview Strategy. Um, and I'll put all my social media links there also. Uh, so you don't have to figure out which Tom Schwab in Kalamazoo I really am. I appreciate you sitting down with me today. I know you're a busy man. You got real good. He's got like a whole... Uh, uh, a pool of thought leaders out there that he's busy with, but he took time to sit down with us and uh, share some insights for our audience. And I, the reason I find your story, again, inspiring is we have a lot of entrepreneurs, aspiring business owners out there, veteran, military spouses. And when they see you owning a niche like podcasting interviews, you know, getting guests on, I think that's going to get their wheels spinning, you know, on some other stuff that they can do as well. I just want to show... Yeah. 
the broad landscape of what it means to be a business owner and you're part of that story. And I want to thank you for sitting down with us today. And thank you for what you're doing and what Bunker Labs is doing. And one last plea to, to, to veterans, to their spouses, you know, your service does not end when you get your DD 214, right? You can still serve in your community. And I think the best way that you can serve is by being a business owner, right? Um, it's one thing for me to write a check to somebody, but I tell you what, to have an intern, uh, to have a, a young person working, the impact that you make on their lives, that's what I am most proud of is that I've had some young people that worked for me that now are doing their own companies and, uh, and the impact that you can make. The, the world still needs your service and you need to step up. Great. It's great, great insight. Great, great advice, man. Especially now, you know, people need jobs. Don't underestimate the ability of creating a job for someone like you said, or creating that internship. That's real value. That's how this economy moves. That's how this country moves. For our listeners out there, do us a favor and subscribe to the transition on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listener service you're using today. We greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from the information. If you want to get plugged into the Bunker Lab ecosystem, visit www.bunkerlabs.org, select the city nearest to you, and sign up for our local newsletter. From there, you can attend one of our virtual or in-person networking events. It's that simple. Also, check out BunkerOnline.org, where you can learn about our many different programs to support your entrepreneurial journey. We have programs that will take you from idea to invoice, incubate you, and position you to grow alongside other founders and CEOs. Register today at www.bunkeronline.org. Tom, thanks again for joining us. And for everyone else out there, until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.